The hero factor is that special core fundamental that stands some companies apart to achieve true greatness. There's no better time than now to discover and revive your business story. Your origin story begins now. Hey, everybody, this is a great interview. You're going to really like this one because operational excellence is defined as the execution of the business strategy where every single member of the organization can see the flow of value to the customer. And it's able to fix the process before it breaks down. So we really get into this into this discussion. In fact, we could probably use two or three episodes just on that alone. So as more leaders and companies strive to achieve their own hero factor, my next guest is on a mission to get everyone to become hero leaders and hero companies. Welcome to the Hero Factor, Eric Makowski, President and CEO of Propolo Consulting out of Canada. Welcome, Eric. Hey, my first question is you've been at a number of companies. Yep. And, th- and now you're out on your own, which, you know, yes. hey, look, I love, you know, because I've been in that corporate world and then <laughs> and then go do it yourself. Although it's got its trials and tribulations. We For all sure. know it's got its ups and downs being on your own. What was the biggest thing or, or the funnest thing about being in a bigger company? I think in a bigger company, you have unlimited resources available to you. Yeah. There's so many initiatives that you can kick off. Trade-offs, as much as you talk about them, they're, 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 they're less complicated to overcome. Whereas when you're in a small business, uh, you've got to make much more longer-term decisions, much more better kind of longer-term thinking in terms of what you're doing. It does mean you have trade-offs because you have a certain amount of cash that you can manage. So those, I think, are probably the biggest differences. And a large company is so much opportunity you can take forward. Yeah, although most people in big companies don't see that, do they? I agree. I think most people think they're boxed into their job description. They can't do anything beyond what it is. And I think most of my success when I was in those big companies was going way beyond what the job description said I could do to find (laughs) opportunities, right? And and deal with the politics, uh, ask for forgiveness afterwards. But but for the most part, I know inside the companies, you know, when you're in this big culture, you you feel like, oh, you can't make those decisions or you shouldn't. And then I found out, no, you could and you should, and no one gets mad at you for it. And if they do, then you can you can usually make up afterwards, and it's right. all okay, right? Yeah, as long as you're doing the right thing. Right? As long as you're doing the right thing, it's it, it actually most companies value entrepreneurial spirit inside that big organization because it's usually so slow and so complicated to get anything done. I call them captains of no. I think somebody actually <laughs> gave me that term, but you know, or champions of no. That there's so many of them in the company that say, "Oh, well, it's not in the budget," or "We've yeah. already tried that once," or "That's not who we are," or <laughs> You know, it's just, I, in fact, my last book or one, one of my books, not the last one, but my Think Big Act Booger, I think that's the one I put it in. I put like like a page and a half of all the things that people <laughs> said no, why they would say no, you know, yeah. or, or how they would say no. But that is the biggest thing you overcome is so you have to get around those champions or captains of no, right? Yeah. And I think the, the other part is a lot of people live in fear in those large organizations, fear that something will happen. Yeah. Uh, the part that really struck me and a lot of organizations, we work with very large organizations also, and a lot of them are afraid to make choices, decisions, champion something for that's maybe out of the norm. And there's usually this corporate legend that somebody's going to get beaten up, but usually there's no instances where somebody got beaten up for for making the right decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly not physically, but even mentally. Not, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. There's always a few of that. I mean, we're here. We, you know, that's the big thing about the hero factor. We talk about just mm-hmm. good culture, running yeah. a hero culture. 
What didn't you like working inside those big companies? There's a few things. I think one of them is exactly what you said in terms of uh, values and values alignment. There, there's one organization yeah. I worked with where values and alignment was phenomenal in a very large company. It was not perfect, but for the most part, values were core to everything they did. But I remember uh, one organization I worked with, they would have this Rolodex card deck that would have 12 folds on one side of all the values you're supposed to know. And then on the other side, there were 12 things you were supposed to act on. I can't remember what the other side was called, but nobody knew what that was, right? 24 different things to remember. You don't remember a single thing. So nobody lives the values. Yeah. Um, and I think that becomes suddenly the value becomes money or your scorecard. And the problem is then your scorecard doesn't align with the person next to you, you're trying to drive competing objectives. And I've seen in some organizations, those scorecards drive such a, a focus on, on doing my project, even if it doesn't make sense for the organization. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have those, right? That's the, <laughs> that's the bosses. It's the CEOs or, yeah. you know, or, or people would do things inside the company because I would say so. Because I would yeah. say, um, but, but what I said wasn't really that or what I said was stupid. Let's if it, let's imagine <laughs> I said something that was really stupid. Somebody should go like, "Hello," you know, <laughs> you're right. But there, but because of your title, because of who you are, because you're the boss, it, it takes on this whole other you know world, doesn't it? It does. Actually, this great story because a couple of years back, I did exactly that. I came up with some stupid idea in one of our leadership meetings, and I was really pushing and championing this idea. But the purpose of the idea wasn't to make that idea happen was to see at what point would somebody actually call me out and say, what you're saying makes no sense. Yeah. And I probably went on for about 15, 20 minutes until somebody said, hey, wait a minute, this makes no sense. And then I celebrated that person who is comfortable challenging me because it was the right thing to do. Because I wanted to instill this 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 feeling that you could challenge me irrespective of the title. Which you should. I mean, that's, that's a hero culture thing. I mean, Correct. that's what we talk about is instilling into, into people the opportunity to be able to say, no, or yes, or exactly. hey, have we thought of this? There, you know, challenging is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a, an amazing thing. And you want yeah. that variety of ideas. Your idea is not necessarily the best one. The combination of all those ideas is the best. Yeah, I, you know, I talk about this, Eric, and you've heard me talk many times mm -hmm. at our Hero Club events, that tension's a good thing. I like tension. Yes. And, and it's tough. You know, here I am sitting in South Dakota today at my South Dakota office, being back home where I love to be more than any other place in the world. Mm -hmm. My South Dakota team, who I love greatly, they don't like a lot of tension. I'm getting them used to it, you know, <laughs> you know, because more like tension. Oh, I don't want to throw somebody in the bus. Nobody asked you to kill somebody. You know? <laughs> I'm asking you to challenge their challenge, their beliefs, challenge, exactly. their, you know, their assumptions. Right. That, I think. I think that's important to do. There's a the great example of this, this professor that was uh, talking a little bit about that talks about the concept of fight and unite. Oh, so, I like that. Because like it's so simple, right? It's yeah, like have yeah. that kind of passionate fight around what's the best idea. But when you leave the room, you unite and you make that idea happen. Yeah. If you had some discourse, something you don't agree with, say it in the room. And that comfortable fight happens, obviously with respect. But then you have to unite afterwards. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with a little wrestling, <laughs> you know, <laughs> appropriately, folks, appropriately. Appropriately, yeah, yes. I want to say that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm impressed also, Eric, uh, you know, and, and your background, you know, you and I have mm -hmm. talked a couple times and I've yes. always just been liked you since the first time I met you, which happens a lot in our hero club, doesn't it? It really yeah. does. Yeah, it just, does. The armor's off and people get together. It's just a wonderful thing. But you're a lean Six Sigma uh, master black belt. 
Yes. How long did things? it take? Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I, <laughs> I've never had the patience for that, you know, to go do all that. And so how long did that take you? Uh, I think over time, I think it was it was a span of probably about six to eight years in total yeah. from running projects initially from a black belt standpoint, and then essentially training black belts to then becoming a master black belt to then training and certifying master black belt. So I basically even the tier above and then I, I've trained and certified master black belts over the years. I, I think it's a great discipline and toolkit. I think it's not the end all be all. I think the, the yeah. part that it tends to forget is widgets are widgets, but people are people and you can't six sigma person. And that's really where I started trying to understand. Let's understand the psychology behind people to understand how do you make change happen? How do you get better outcomes that combine kind of the data driven approaches to improvement with a recognition that I'm dealing with humans and humans aren't the most predictable in the world? <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. Do you think that's a big company thing? Which one? This, uh, the Lean Six Sigma. The, the methodology itself is, uh, because it's it's very structured, the concepts and the applications to really, at the end of the day, it's about creating an improvement mindset. That applies anywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. Small, mid-sized companies. It's a desire that I can always get better. I can always try to do something better than I did yesterday. That exists everywhere. I think it, it may look a bit differently in a large company. I need to have much more structure to making it happen. Well, listen, let's take a quick break. I want to take a break and then come right back there. Can I get a follow-up question that's like you just jumped out at me? So let's just take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, this is the question I got for you, my friend. Sure. All right. To me, Six Sigma seems more like a big company kind of thing. And yep. and I think in the the entrepreneurial companies that you and I now deal with more than anything is you, you gotta you gotta make those changes or you die. Yes. In, a, in a big company, you you got enough leeway. There's enough, uh, you know, even though it looks like it's do or die for a lot of big companies, there's a lot of waste, a lot of things. And that, and you can get by with making mistakes there as opposed to an entrepreneurial company. Would you, would you say that's true? I agree. I think the speed of decisions needs to be faster. Yeah. But the mindset that I can improve every day needs to be there. I, mm. I can tell you lots of entrepreneurial companies where the boss makes a decision and maybe the boss thinks they're moving fast, and, and generally they are if they're successful, but the culture doesn't move fast behind them. Uh, people aren't making quick, swift decisions to drive that improvement mindset or aren't necessarily comfortable challenging the status quo. Yeah. Well, and then there's companies that started it. Like, for instance, the Lean Six, Six Sigma stuff started really out of GE. Yep. And then I look at GE today as an operational <laughs> excellence company. I don't, I don't know that I would say they're the epitome of that learning uh, like they used to be. Yeah, I think even if you look at their market performance over the last few years, they've certainly not demonstrated that they're the leading company they used to be. Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit about that. How would you define uh, operational excellence? That's a core value and a core piece that I put into the success factors of being a hero company. Yeah. How would you define operational excellence and what do you think it takes to achieve it? That's a great question. I think it, it really takes a mobilized, commitment, committed workforce mm -hmm. that is every day trying to make today better than it was yesterday. Yeah. And beyond that's, the leader. Oh boy, that's tough. How, how do you get that into the DNA? How do you get that into the Kool-Aid, right? It's really, at the end of the day, it's, it's how do I instill a culture where every day I'm trying to coach you to make something that makes your workplace better and you're comfortable making mistakes at it. So I can, I can try something, fail fast 
and learn from it. Um, the, the, the analogy I had is early, early on when I was trying to understand how do great companies do well, um, one of the organizations that I went to visit was Toyota. And part that struck me is I asked them two questions, really simple questions. I said, they had a, this was a plant of 3,000 employees. And I said, how many of your employees came up with a suggestion last year that improved safety, quality, and productivity at the same time? So all three things. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, that's easy, 10,000. And I say, okay, that's good. How many of those 10,000 ideas got implemented and stayed in place for a reasonable amount of time where you would say it was successful? And so that's easy, 9,000. So for 3,000 employees, three improvements happened in the previous year. Hmm. That's a mindset. That's not like I can tell you organizations I've talked to with 60,000 employees and ask them the same two questions and maybe it's 100 ideas came forward and how many got implemented. Usually they, they don't want to answer that question because right. they know it's really bad. Right. Wow. What a big difference that will make. You know, yeah. you, you said that, how, how do you do that as a leader? I, I think you, in the operational excellence, you have to have everybody else believing in it too, right? You do. Otherwise you can't steer the ship. Where you think the CEO can dictate this and they can't. Mm-hmm. You, you think, uh, you know, it's, I used to, and I, look, I believe this a long time, Mike, if a CEO of major corporation says, this is what we're going to do, we're going to do it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, it, you know, just cause I was a CMO in charge of billions of dollars of budget. Doesn't mean I'm going to be able to spend something either mm-hmm. or to get it done. It really takes a lot of maneuvering and things. So how do how do you really truly get everybody in the company to, to believe in that operational excellence? I think it starts with humility. I need to be humble enough to realize that I'm not the smartest person at the at yeah. the table. If mm-hmm. you if you go back to your earlier comment about wanting that that conflict that happens, you need to have that conflict happening that people feel comfortable, the psychological safety to say, hey, there's a better way to do this. And and the way you came up with 10 years ago may no longer be the best way. Yeah. And I have to be humble enough to say, I actually don't know everything and and I'm probably not the smartest person at the table. And there's a new, newer, newer, different way of newer, doing different it. Way, you know? Exactly. I mean, I have to think about that all the time. I look, I'm a, I'm a marketing genius, <laughs> and, but yet the marketing today needs to be done differently. So I Correct. have to find other marketing geniuses and be the genius of hiring the genius. Correct. So, and, and that's an important thing for me to remember because the way it used to be, isn't the way it's going to be done today. And so, Agreed. you know, I, I kind of always, I've said in the past, I've always lived with this thing. I'm not aware of what I'm not aware of. So yep. I, lo- I try to live in a constant state of awareness and not mm-hmm. so much that this is a finite or absolute. I agree. And that's not, it's not an easy thing for us to do. Oh, by the way, this humility thing, that's not just a Canadian thing, is it? No, 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 no. It's <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere in the world, it helps. You have to be, you have to realize that some people know better than, than you do. And I think for me, the, that humbling experience was when I was given uh, the P&L and the entire accountability for an operations in, in uh, investment banking. Mm-hmm. And I knew nothing about investment banking. That was How, how much money are we talking about in this company? This is big stuff, right? This is big stuff. Big, yeah. big company. We're transacting yeah. in the millions every day uh, yeah. and, and, and huge, huge amounts. And usually a mistake would cost tens of thousands to a hundred thousands. And we'd make several of those in a year. Uh, and it was not uncomfortable to write off millions of dollars in a year, Yikes. which is really bizarre for a lot and of people. And you didn't know right? squat, right? I, I knew nothing. And, and the COO just said, don't worry. You know how to fix stuff. You know how to lead. Don't worry about it. Just go. And and his his expression being a good investment banker, he said, "You can't buy lower. You just have to sell it higher." 
<laughs> and but when I walked into the business, it was run by a leader that controlled everything. So nobody yeah. actually knew how to run the business. And we had yeah. removed two layers of management when I walked in. So I remember the first day somebody comes in and says, we have a problem. We have this warrant. And my background's in law. And I thought, warrant, who's being arrested? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> different kind of warrant, my friend. Different very, kind very of different warrant. kind yeah. of warrant, right? Yeah. So I, we had to figure out how to do things, how to fix things. But I had to realize that I actually couldn't solve a thing. I could just help others figure out how to solve it. Yeah, you could guide them through it. Correct. Yeah, well, that's what we do most of the time, is it? It is if you're a good leader. Yeah, I think uh, so. I mean, I, yeah. I try to not be the guy that says, every once in a while I'll say, finally, just cut the chase. Do, do it this way. I don't have time to explain today. Yeah. But but most of the time I try to, well, what would you do? How Correct. would you do it? What, exactly. what What is that? Now, most of the times I get I get blank stares, right? <laughs> but I, but I'm, I'm going to sit there until we get somebody's going to suggest something and move them and then get to yeah. the next thing and get to the next thing and, and, you know, let them know it's okay to fall off the cliff. I mean, I had to be a sphincter tightening moment when he did that to you. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, it, it, you know, I say that it, it had to be scary, right? Like what the hell? Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Because you're, you're transacting in millions and a mistake is incredibly costly. Oh, well, or public. You know, very public. Yeah, it's a material material change. Yeah, material change. (laughs) It could affect the stock. It could do a lot of things. You know, you can can find a rogue trader. We found a a rogue trader and had to write off seventeen million dollars. Well, that see that good news, bad news there, right? Bad news is you found them. Good news is you found them, right? Correct. Yeah, that you know that happens from time to time, and and I just remember sitting in these big meetings. Sometimes, a lot of times, I didn't know. I, I remember getting to you know my first big job. I mean, I look, yeah. I was at a billion dollar company before, but I mean, really big job. You know, at Kodak, and I'm sitting around going the meetings, going like somebody should do something, somebody should do something, and, <laughs> and then I'm looking around and going, yeah, that's me, you know, right. again. But I didn't. Sometimes I didn't know how to do it. You know, I didn't, I, and I was like. Right. Then I just had to step back and say, well, what would I do if this was in Sioux Falls? That's what yeah. I did. And I take all the zeros off the numbers. And forget then I about go, the numbers. Yeah, exactly. forget about the numbers and just say. Do the right thing. Yeah, do the right thing. What's the right thing? What would I do? What would I do? And then that's how I just kind of, then after that, it became easy. Right. Yeah. And then it was like, it was, it was alleviated. It was like a whole burden that comes off your shoulders when you do that. And, mm-hmm. and so values are a real critical part, right? Eric? I absolutely agree. Values are are the biggest part because what you want is you want people to drive improvements, but they need to understand the true north. What does good look like in your mind? And if you don't Mm. behave with that that mindset each and every day, so hire and fire because of it, then people start doubting, is that really what you want me to do? Yeah. Yeah. And not so much focus on the metrics. The metrics are important. Without yeah. question, that's how we measure. I mean, somebody said, well, you know, why do you charge for what you do if you like what you do? So that's how we keep score, brother. <laughs> you know, that's how we keep score. And there's something to that. But yeah, you got you to gotta set it aside for a little bit. Hey, I got to see, speaking of set aside, I got to make money. And so just give me a second here. <laughs> Let's, I want to come right back. All right. Hang on. C-Suite Radio. Hey, what do you think, Eric, is the biggest mistakes companies are making regarding culture? I, I think is not investing enough and believing that that is truly what will make a difference. And what I mean by this is it's not about spending millions of dollars on culture, but it's being very, very targeted around what is it I want to, to achieve mm-hmm. and and how does that look like and, and how do I show up behaving this way? And I, I mean, I had to do it myself when I was... In, in my business where 
you have to make a decision to fire somebody who's an amazing performer, who's probably one of your top performers, but doesn't live the value in terms of their values in terms of oh. how they perform the work, right? So the drama. it's a huge, the it's drama. a huge drama, right? Yeah. Because you know, if you don't have that person, you, it, it's really hard for you to achieve your goals. But if you keep that person, it sours the entire culture of the business. And I think you've got to be comfortable making those tough decisions. If you don't, then forget about culture. But I think it's this constant reinforcement. Uh, the other part is I think too many people think culture is the problem that HR has got to solve on the side. Yeah. And they think culture is engagement surveys or something loosey-goosey. It's, it's real. It's, all, yeah. it's real. It's hard. It's, it's tangible. I've been t telling my team because we've been going through some real big changes and we're about right. to go through into a, like my word for 2020 is scale. It's going to be scale big time because I've got, I've got the formula dialed in, but now I want no drama. Right. And, and I went out and got a sign over the holidays. It says no drama allowed here. <laughs> and I hung it up. I got it outside my door here and because I don't care how great you are. I don't care how much you contribute. If your drama, if your, if no. the pain to deal with you is greater than the benefit, yep, I, I, I don't need it. I don't want it. You know, Correct. not just because that's where I'm at in my life is I've got to move with a highly efficient team. Let's imagine you're a professional football baseball team, but you got the best home runner hitter, or you got the yep. best receiver, best running back, best quarterback, best what, best lineman. But if you're such a pain in the ass, <laughs> that when you show up in the locker room, I don't even want to talk to you. Right. right. There's a problem. There's a problem with that. Absolutely. Because wow. you're not, you're not, you're never going to perform as a team. Yeah. Because it's going to be about you and your drama and what you want. But yeah. it's it, the team is the one that's got to win. Yeah, without question. And I, I've got to get that message. And that's just part of growing pains. For those of you listening as entrepreneurs, especially, it's, it's easier inside a, a company to kind of a bigger company to kind of merge that. And once it becomes a certain kind, you only hire that right. kind of people, you know. And then every once in a while, you got to bring in the drama guys or the people that are going to mix it up to <laughs> to impact the culture. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, you start off as a one man band or one woman mm -hmm. band. Then you add these devout followers. Well, those devout followers are just people that you like and that are standing around at the right moment and right time. And then it comes a point where you've got to then go to that next stage, which is the scaled professionals and technicians and the kinds of people you need. That drama has got to go away at that stage. Uh, it just has to because you yeah. can't scale. If most of my time spent trying to fix the crap that you leave in your wake, and even <laughs> though you're the best salesperson or the best head of operations or the best whatever, it just ain't worth it, man. I completely agree. Yeah, really tough. Hey, I heard you talk about incorporating brain science and psychology into the workplace. How, how do you go about that? So very early on, and this is when I started in my Six Sigma days trying to drive a lot of improvements, I started realizing that unless I could capture the hearts and the minds of the people and that they were inconsistent, where Six Sigma is trying to get you to high levels of consistency and quality, that unless you could bring in something about the people side, and I'm not talking about change management, I'm talking about how do you design work, how do you create a work environment where people want to deliver as much as they can, they want to put in more for you and for your business, that you needed to tap into science around it. And there was a, a different kind of science, which was really trying to understand how humans work, how organizations work together, how do you design a work environment so people want to do more and make better choices and run a better operation. So that's really where I sought to find that skill set. That's not my background. My background was in operations, running operations. So I really wanted to, to bring that skill set to the workplace, matching 
the theory with real world experience so that the ideas could actually come to life in the real world as opposed to just be theory. Very cool. Hey, we got about a minute or so left, but I don't yep. I don't want to miss this one. Discretionary effort. Yeah. <laughs> so Tell this me. is this is really this concept that yeah. the average person, if I if I pay you, will deliver a certain amount of effort. And if I, if I deliver less, that's performance management. I'm going to tell you how to improve or I'm going to fire you. But then there's this entire space where people are willing to put in more time, more effort. We've all seen it. As business owners, we do it ourselves because we're so connected to our time. mission. So how do you take that mission to more people so that they're willing to do more for the same price? So you're getting free effort, free, free resources without having to pay for it. And yeah. the science shows that th there's really tangible ways of doing it in terms of how you design the work environment and how you connect people to your mission, the goals that you're trying to achieve. And I'm not talking about a mission statement. I'm saying what yeah. your why for, for business. People will do more for it. Yeah. And, and that's really what we try to uncover in businesses. I, I love that term. And I love that, that whole explanation because that's just getting people to, to you know, I, I always say drink the Kool-Aid, drink the <laughs> champagne, get on the wagon, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, get, get behind the mission. Oh, man, I that's agree. awesome. Absolutely. Hey, well, how, how's the book coming? Uh, books coming along should be released uh, middle of 2020. And uh, it's really so, about how do you run a better operation? You got a title yet? Uh, not yet, but it's going to have the word discretionary effort into it, either as uh, a main yeah. or a subtext. We're still working uh, on that piece. I love it. I love it. Well, it'll be a bestseller. There's no doubt about it. Well, thank you so much thank for joining you. me right here on The Hero Factor with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to do a little wrap-up of what I learned. And I'm telling you the one phrase. One phrase came through. What does good look like? What does good look like? If you don't know what that looks like in your business, you ain't getting there. I can guarantee you that. If you're not measuring it in some way, shape, or form, or don't have that feeling about it, don't know it, don't sense it, then you ain't getting there. Okay? I'll just put it straight to you right there. That's my one thing for today. That's what I learned. I hope you learned something as well. Maybe that was your learning. Maybe there was something else. So share it with me on social or uh, drop me a line. I always love to hear from you. And don't forget to let other people know about the Hero Factor right here on C-Suite Radio. You've been listening to the Hero Factor podcast on C-Suite Radio. Find this and other podcasts like this on C-SuiteRadio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.